You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be Hey everybody, it's Ken Davenport here. So last week I put something up on my Facebook page that reached over 100,000 people and got almost 1,000 likes. It's really cool. Check it out, facebook.com backslash Ken Davenport. And do me a favor, while you're on the page, give me a like, will ya? Now on with the podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hey, everybody. Ken Davenport back with you on the Producers Perspective podcast. We're heading out on the road again today to the Midwest. Uh, and we're talking to one of the most influential independent producers of national tours in the country. He's also just a great guy. In fact, he was called an Iowa treasure by the Des Moines Register. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, the president and CEO of Des Moines Performing Arts Center in Des Moines, Iowa, Mr. Jeff Chelsevig. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Ken. So, Jeff, Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> it's not the city that immediately comes to mind as being one of the theatrical capitals of the country, yet you've got this thriving theatrical community. They're very supportive of our community. I've played there a number of times, yeah. and I was a company manager, and also um, I've had a couple of my shows there as a producer. So just tell me a little bit about Des Moines and uh, the arts community and what, what you have to offer there. Well, Ken... Um... First of all, Des Moines right now is in the center of the universe because of the Iowa caucuses coming up. <laughs> From a theatrical standpoint, um, Des Moines has always been a theatrical town and has never had a professional theater company. We don't have a Lord Theater there. The closest ones would be in Kansas City and, and Minneapolis. Um, so touring theater has been an important part of Des Moines for years. There used to be 
believe it or not, a 4,000-seat theater called the KRNT Radio Theater, uh, that everything went that came through uh, stopped at the KRNT Theater. They did the Metropolitan Opera. They did all of the national tours. And um, to me, it's been a part of the fabric of the community for decades. And uh, our facility, the Des Moines Civic Center, was built in 1979. And um, we have, uh, it's a very large house, as you know, 2,700 seats. And um, yet it is all on one level. There's no balconies, no boxes, so it's all one level. Every seat is an orchestra seat. (laughs) And, um, you know, we actually draw not only from Des Moines, but also um, from a a rather wide area of Iowa. We have, uh, I think it's most of our people come kind of the corridor north and south, maybe 50 miles either way. Because there's a there are a fair number of, of um, smaller size cities there that don't have access to the kinds of shows that we have, and um, you know the matinees are always very 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 uh, popular because uh, people north and south can come to the matinee and drive home after that. So you know we've we've been doing what I've been there now 21 years, uh, just celebrating my 21st anniversary there and I still love going to work every day so tell me what a typical day for a presenter is what 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 fills your day well Ken in addition to presenting Broadway of course we have we're a performing arts center so we have six different series that we are doing Um, Broadway is the biggest of those um, but we also have to raise a fair amount of money, almost $3 million in our annual fund. So I do a fair amount of, of fundraising. And gosh, you know, a lot of it is, um, I think a lot of what I do is, seems like always working on the next season. You know, we, we're uh, getting ready to announce our uh, sixteen seventeen season in a couple of months. And... We're already working on the 17-18 season, so it, it never seems to end. Um, I have a staff of about 40 people, and uh, we kind of have to do a lot of different things because in addition to the Broadway series, we also are doing dance, we're doing family shows, we have uh, a small 300-seat theater that we do off-Broadway shows in, and so it's just constantly stuff going on during the season, and uh, I... I'm always looking for those extra hours at the end of the day. <laughs> so you talk about always working on the next season. And it seems to me that presenters now are booking much further in advance than ever before. Is that true? It's true. And I'm not sure that it's the healthiest thing. Um, I, you know, it used to be that we would wait until well after the the season had started um, but I find myself now even holding dates for shows that haven't even opened, and it's kind of being done on spec. Um, <laughs> that kind of drives me crazy. I think it drives a lot of us crazy. Uh, we've always had to work on the you know the multi-week engagements. You've always had to work three and four years out, but for the stuff that's brand new, I'm not sure. I think it's a little too early to tell. So why do you think this change happened over the last several years that presenters are being asked to book so much earlier well i i think a lot of times there it's it's becoming a crowded market i think as every day marches on and this season we've had some great shows i mean 
I think the last two seasons have been remarkable on Broadway. And um, I can't think of a time where we've had so many positive reviews for a lot of shows. And so I think booking agents, I think producers are kind of saying, hey, let's line up a booking agent now and let's get stuff out there. Um, again, I, I, I fall prey to it, but I, I kind of wonder because... Uh, sometimes uh, the good booking agents understand that there is an ebb and flow, and sometimes some of the other booking agents think that once you have a hold down, then it's uh, then it's pretty well firm. <laughs> and what goes? What are the qualifications you look for when you book this weekend? When we're recording this, is APAP the, Asso- the Association of Performing Arts Presenters or something like that? Yeah. Yes, and uh, which is a big shopping mall, basically <laughs> for every show from the big Broadway shows to one man Einsteins. Uh, <laughs> and presenters go through this market and look for shows to book in their season. How do you pick the right show for Des Moines? Well, that's a good question, Ken. And uh, you know, first of all, I don't. I didn't go to APAP. I do go occasionally, but we have two staff members that are there, um, and they love going to the showcases. A lot of times what they're looking for are the things that are happening in our small space and also some of the education things and family shows that we do and a lot of the dance uh, shows that we do, we learn about at APAP. You know, for me, Ken, it started years ago. I um, When I first started booking in Des Moines, I remember... Uh, booking a show that it was produced by a producer I didn't know. When I saw it, I wasn't happy with it. <laughs> I thought it was a little, uh, it wasn't well produced. I thought the sets really looked bad. And um, I kind of made this promise to myself that I wanted to produce shows by people that I know and who I think have the same kind of values that I have. We actually have quite a bit of shows to to choose from. We we have a number of shows to choose from in any given year. And uh, what I've learned about Des Moines is that they really appreciate quality. They uh, they'll pay what it takes to see quality. And I've never been scared of any shows. I've never said no. Our audience isn't ready for it. We have a very very smart audience. We have. People that are well-read, well-traveled, um, they and so they want to see the best. And that's kind of my guiding light. I always say the shows that have profanity and adult situations, those are the easiest. I book those right away. <laughs> um, but we tell people that, you know, and uh, we were one of the early markets to do the Book of Mormon. We had no issues at all with that. Um, going back in the Wayback Machine, uh, you know, we were all scared of Avenue Q because of the language in Avenue Q. Um, that was an easy one for us to book. Again, no problems. So um, I, I just, I, I always, and, and I loved, we'd love to do plays. We don't, again, we don't have a Lord Theater in our, in our neck of the woods. And so we love to do the plays and um, our audiences love the plays. So Maybe there may there may be a play coming up soon. Dwayne, who knows? Has there ever been a show that you've been really nervous about that opening night for that audience? Ever been anything? No, ever? Never. I often think of presenters actually like artistic directors of regional theaters because mm-hmm. you really are programming for them, right? right? And their and their audience. So tell me a bit about the relationship for presenters to Broadway producers. Obviously, this is something that you look 
very strongly at to book before you book a show, you look for producers that you've worked with before that you know. How is that relationship forged? And more importantly, is it a healthy one today? Do you think the relationships are good? I think the relationships are 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 actually really good. I I think that. Um, there's a couple of reasons. I think number one, a lot of presenters like us are now um, we're investing in shows. We've been doing it for uh, well since Thoroughly Modern Millie, which was 2002. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, because yeah. I was the company manager. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, so I was collecting all these checks that's from right. presenters, going, "What's happening here?" And then sending us checks back. Yes, uh, eventually, which was great. <laughs> But I think when we when we started investing, um, Broadway across America has been investing for a long time, and then a group of us that were not part of Broadway across America, which is a consortium, you know, Broadway Amer across America partners with performing arts centers around the country to present Broadway series in uh, I think thirty five or forty markets, and those of us who are not uh, affiliated with Broadway across America created an organization called the Independent Presenters Network. And specifically, it was done to invest in shows. Uh, sometimes we get the, the rights to be able to uh, present those shows um, in the first year of the tour. Um, there are things that come with it. What I see it as being is I, I like to invest in shows that um, I think have a chance of having a tour. And again, have... Uh, the producers are people that we care about or it's a show that we care about. And uh, we've become, we've, we're doing a lot more investing in shows. Um, and it did change, I think, the relationship because before we were just consumers of product and now we are actually investors in much of that product. And I think it's healthy. I really do. I think the relationship is good. We all need each other. Uh, presenters need producers and producers need presenters. You mentioned you like to invest in shows that you think have a really good shot of getting out on tour and being successful. What do you think those qualifications are? What, what makes a show work on the road? Well, you know, we'd all love to have um, many more Wiccans and the Book of Mormons and the Lion Kings. Um, but sometimes, and and. Certainly a show that I know is, is near and dear to your heart, uh, The Bridges of Madison County, was not a commercial success in New York. Um, we had a very different relationship with that show because The Bridges of Madison County are like 40 miles away from our theater. And uh, so from the very beginning of that process, um, I, we, were, we were eager to be involved. And we recently just opened the national tour of that show. Um, again, it was a, it, that was a labor of love and it just so happened to, uh, that out of that came an incredible score by Jason Robert Brown, a great book by Marsha Norman, um, a beautiful production, Bartlett Shear directing and all of that. It wasn't a commercial success in, in New York. It was, uh, a, really a big success in Des Moines when we opened the tour, of course, uh, having the, the cachet of having the, the bridges right there. Um, but, you know, I, I think it is just about as much about investing in shows, even if we don't think they're going to be commercially viable, uh, if, if they're important to us. And uh, sometimes, again, we are investing to support a specific producer that we really like. So 
Um, I, I'd love to tell you that we've always hit a home run with our investments, but sometimes we don't. And, um, you know, that's the way it is in Broadway, too. Do you ever book shows that don't play in New York first? You know, occasionally we do. I would say that most of the time, if we have a show that is, I would say all of the time when we are doing shows, they have uh, they have had some kind of a either New York or London. Uh, we Will Rock You is a good example of a show that played in London, did not play on Broadway, but had a healthy tour, uh, including Des Moines. Um, this year, I think everything that we have started on Broadway, and I think that's true for next year as well. Do you find that your audiences are are knowledgeable about what's playing here on Broadway? So they're coming to the theaters like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see Book of Mormon because I know everything about it. I've read about it and now I'm getting it. Or are you educating them on the shows and they're just going because, frankly, their love of everything that Jeff Chelsea does? <laughs> well, I, 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 first of all, I think that as a presenter, you, we, are, we rely on season ticket holders. You know, for most of the shows, we are guaranteeing the producer a certain amount of money to bring that production to Des Moines. And then we have to pay all of the expenses for that. So in order to really reduce that risk, unless it's a really well-known show that's, um, you know, played us or played Broadway before, we have to put it on our, our season, which is a five-show package, and we rely on those season ticket holders. We have about 11,000 subscribers to our Broadway series. So it is important for us to have titles that, um, at least one or two titles that um, they're going to know, they do put a huge amount of trust in us. Uh, we hear from our subscribers year after year that if they see a show that they love but they knew nothing about, that's kind of the great surprise for them. And that's true in a lot of the things that we do, our dance series and our, our music series uh, as well over the, the small space. But um, I think people are becoming a lot more knowledgeable about Broadway. I think there are more avenues for them to learn. Um, I, I recently wrote a piece uh, for a newspaper in, in Des Moines, and I said that Growing up, the only way that I really had access to Broadway, I grew up in a farm in Northern Iowa, was I'd get cast recordings and I would read the liner notes of the album. I mean, that was kind of how I learned uh, about Broadway shows. And I would imagine how the action was going to happen. <laughs> and lo and behold, when I went to see it, it was nothing like what I thought it would be like. <laughs> but... Um, now you have so many uh, avenues with the websites that are out there. There are some great websites. Uh, we are constantly trying to put more uh, emphasis on content on our website for our donors. Uh, we try to find entryways into their world. And so recently we just started, uh, there's an independent uh, film house in Des Moines that we're partnering with. And so we are actually running in, in the cases where there is a film that was the source material for the musical, we're, we're running those films for free. So people can screen uh, Newsies recently. Um, we couldn't get uh, the one that Gentleman's Guide is based on. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't available, but um, that's been a big hit. And so I think there are more connection points, but we certainly hear from a lot of our, don our subscribers and our donors that they go to New York all the time and that they, uh, they are pretty knowledgeable. One of the 
the things that seems to be very different, of course, where I hear a bit of contention about between presenters and producers is that producers, we're marketing here to this New York audience, these Upper East Siders, the traditional theater goers. And, oh, I don't know, there just might be a little difference between a Des Moines resident and a New York resident. But here come the New York producers saying, this is how you market the show. This is how you market the show. And I would imagine that at times that marketing needs to be different for that local market. Correct? Well, yes and no. I think, um, you know, we have uh, our marketing director, Barb Proust, has been with us for uh, 15 years. And she is really good at what she does. And she understands the media. She understands uh, advertising. And, um, you know, I think the press agents have become a lot more trusting of people like Barb on the road to understand the market a little bit. Um, you know, television is, is important in New York. It's really important on the road, too. Um, print still plays a part on the road and it's still important in New York. So I don't know that there's that many differences. I think, uh, I think the other thing, Ken, is if you really look at the research and how many people, uh, are coming to see shows in New York, I mean, the audience is largely not New Yorkers here in New York. Uh, that's, you know, it's show specific, but if you take the, all of the averages of who's coming to Broadway, it's a huge percentage are coming from outside of the New York area. I think your comment about presenters investing in Broadway shows and that improving the relationships between producers and presenters is so right on. It's interesting because producers and presenters are technically on the other side of the table from each other, right? Negotiating, but still in the same trade organization. It's this very interesting relationship. What are some of the other issues that producers may not be seeing your perspective on? That if we were all listening, and we are, every single one of us, what would you want to lobby for, for a little more thought from us producers here in New York? You know, I th that's a great question. Uh, first thing I will tell you is I think that the quality of the tours um, is very, very high. I am very impressed with the, the casts that tour, uh, the, the people behind the scenes, the production values. Um, witnessing the opening of the Bridges of Madison County recently and the hours and hours and hours of tech uh, that went into the lighting and the sound and all of that, uh, it's extraordinary. One of the things that I think is, is, is interesting is that we all have such great sound systems and, and uh, personal listening devices and all of this in our homes and in our offices and I think that the the expectation of the of the audience is that it's going to sound just like I'm watching a movie at home or I'm at a a, a metroplex, and the complexity of doing um, live theater and moving a show in and literally doing a sound check at five thirty for a seven thirty show uh, in a brand new theater every week with different acoustics, uh, that is becoming, I think, a, a big, a big issue. And I think, um, there used to be, it used to be, and I know this is an expense, but I, I know that it used to be very common that shows would send an advanced person out to kind of scope out the theater and make sure that they laid out the line sets and checked, um, what was going on so that there weren't any surprises when you got to the show. 
We've had a couple of times this year where, um, because we don't have a balcony, we don't have a balcony rail, um, if there are projections from the front of house, we've had a couple of times this year where the, the carpenter and the, uh, the electricians, the people that, that work on these projections say, we're going to have to kill some seats in the middle of your house. Well, then we have to reassign seats for everybody. And I'd like to think that maybe that could have been, um, you know, worked out beforehand uh, if there had been an advance. But again, it's, there's a cost to it. Um, but I do think that um, those are the kind of things that, that I would love to see producers think about going back to is as the complexity of these shows uh, begins to change. Um, projection is becoming a big part of Broadway and it's becoming a big part of the tours then. And that was something we didn't think much about five years ago. So maybe having that kind of, uh, of, of the advance stuff would be good. Um, and I also think, though, that in fairness, I really do think the producers have learned um, that the needs on the road when it comes to content for the web um, and, and all of that, I think that's really made, we've made great strides in that. Um, we've worked it out so that we can have, because again, we are sitting across the table in, in just from the financial side, but we, we both want to sell tickets. And that's really important because, as you know, it, it's just vital for both of us that we can try to fill the houses. What's the biggest change you've seen in the touring market in the last 21 years of you working in it? <laughs> well, certainly the, the impact the internet has had. With ticketing, for instance, um, it's almost all done on the internet now. We have mobile ticketing in Des Moines. <laughs> I'm smiling because I know that that's a challenge even here in New York, but uh, we do have mobile ticketing. And uh, I think that is probably had the most impact on how we do business. I also think that there has been an enormous amount of um, work done in ensuring that these tours are as close to the Broadway productions as possible. I, I think that is a, a great thing. You can all, I think you can probably look back to when Cameron McIntosh said, I'm not going to take I'm paraphrasing here, but saying that I'm not going to take a show out that uh, looks different than the New York or London production. And um, that was really, I think, the start of it. I, I do think that probably the, the, the Internet and all that that means to us uh, has really changed the theater. But I still love the fact that uh, at, when, when the house lights go out, um, people more or less try to turn their phones off and sit and uh, and not uh, not think about that phone or uh, for the duration of the show. Well, that that comment about Cameron, and I, I'll never forget that as well. We were desperate to see Phantom of the Opera, and it just wouldn't come to the Wang Center because <laughs> Cameron was like, until we figure out how to do right. this the right way, which of course generated even more heat for it here in New York. But interestingly enough, he did that for quality's sake. Now... We also, it seems we need to do it for the audience expectations sake, because as you say, there's these websites where all these videos and all this material right. where the audience sees, oh, that's what Wicked looks like. Oh, right. that's what Book of Mormon or Hamilton looks like. Right. 
So do you, they expect a little bit more when they come to the Civic Center? I think so. I absolutely believe that to be true. And um, again, you take a long-running show like Wicked, it's very likely that a lot of people in the audience, when they come to see the national tour in Des Moines, they've probably seen it now three or four times in Des Moines or other cities. They've seen it in New York. So they have a gauge <laughs> and they know. So, yeah, it's, it, it, I, I think it's uh, the expectation certainly is there. And the expectation of quality uh, is something that we've certainly established in Des Moines. How healthy is the road right now? And over the looking over the past 21 years, if it was a patient in a hospital, would you say it's doing very well, about to be released, is critical, intensive care? How do you think it's doing right now? I think it's a great time for the road. I think subscriptions are, by and large, are up in most markets, or at least they're staying steady. Uh, it's That's our bread and butter in places like Des Moines. Again, we... To put this in perspective, 2,700 seats in our hall, that means that for the eight performances in a week, we have just a little over 20,000 tickets to sell. Um, if you take an average theater in New York, uh, 1,200 seats maybe, so you're, you're talking about uh, right around 10,000 tickets to sell in a week. So we have double the number of seats to sell. So subscription is huge for us. I think the subscription model, it's, it's, uh, you hear this from time to time from um, other segments like from the orchestra world or from sometimes the Lord Theater wondering if the subscription model still works. I think it still works for us. Uh, of course, we are typically playing our productions for just one week. And people, we give our subscribers a lot of, they get, they're, they're buying shows at a discount. Uh, they are able to swap between performances. If they have Tuesday night tickets and they can't make it Tuesday night, they can swap into Thursday night or something. So we try to give them a lot of flexibility. But I think nationwide, can I really think that the subscriptions are up? And again, we kind of follow what happens on Broadway. So if it's a down year on Broadway, you can expect that ripple to happen a year later, really. Uh, but given all of the wonderful shows that I that are playing uh, that have played this year, uh, there's going to be a lot of great tours out next year. And why do you think subscriptions are up? Is it just because Broadway is doing well? So again, you're just riding that wave, or any other reasons? I think we've worked at it. I think we've made it. Uh, what we hear from our subscribers frequently is they like having the same seat for all of the five shows that they, you know, they, they get to know the people that sit around them. It's five times a year that they have on their calendar to, we, 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 we call our, we, we kind of say that our uh, subscription base is date night, however you want to define that. Or it could be a girl's night, but it's, it's, it's not just taking the family. Uh, we try to program more for adults uh, there are shows, obviously, that will appeal to a younger audience, but most of the time we're trying to appeal to adults. And I just think that in, in our busy lives, I think getting those dates, those five dates on their calendar makes a big difference to a lot of people. And um, I think what is also great about our where our community is, um, our theater is right downtown, and there are more restaurants now than ever before. 
And so you can literally drive in, park your car, go to a restaurant, um, walk to the theater, it, make a night of it. And that's really what we hear time and time again from uh, our subscribers and uh, from certainly the restaurateurs know <laughs> when we have a show in, how important that is for that week. I love that your subscribers know the people in the seats around them. Well, you know, we've been doing subscription for 15 years, and they certainly get to know the... the and it's, it, it, yeah, it's it's quite a sense of community, actually. Yeah, it's it's important to them. Are you doing variable pricing on the road yet in Des Moines? Are you premium pricing? Are you raising prices as single tickets start to go for some of the hotter shows? We are. I mean, we've been we've been doing that for a while, and um, that's another benefit of becoming a subscriber is that you literally um, you buy early, you get a discount, and you're not affected by that. Um, we've had premium pricing for a few years, and it's been very very successful. Again, for a segment of the population, they if they want tickets for a specific night doesn't really matter what they pay and that's okay uh, we also on the other flip side try to have affordable tickets for every performance uh, we try to do student rush for every performance so variable goes both ways it can go up and it can go down um, but we've been doing that for quite a while actually and um, you know this is uh, there we work with a company called TRG Arts. Uh, they have um, they've helped us a lot in our thinking, and you know, the scaling of houses and the setting of ticket prices it's it's a lot of an art, as you know. I mean, it's it's an art, and it's something that I think all of us we used to just set the ticket price, and that was it. Um, but when you really look at what, uh, and I know producers in, in New York are doing the same thing. I talked to a producer once of a long running show and I said, how many ticket prices for your show? And he said, well, about a hundred. And he wasn't kidding. It was really when it came down to all of the pre-sales and, um, all of the different variables that you can have, it's not uncommon to have a lot of different ticket prices. So, um, yeah, we do it. <laughs> We're open about it. <laughs> Uh, what do you think the road will look like in 10 years from now, 20 years from now? The same? Do you see any big changes coming down the turnpike? Well, of course, the number one question we get right now is, when is Hamilton coming to Des Moines? <laughs> I say, I always say, well, have we ever not brought the biggest hit shows to Des Moines? I mean, eventually we get them. Is there a, let me just ask you a question though about that. Is there pressure under you? Hamilton obviously will be so sought after. It's going to be sit down in Chicago, right? Right. Is there pressure for you? And if so, how much to be in that first six months, the first three months to try and be one of the first cities? No, I don't think so. I mean, that happens to us quite a bit. Um, and I don't expect that that's going to happen. I, uh, and I think, in this case, managing that expectation is maybe going to be a little bit of a challenge. Um, but, you know, you go back to, what, 20 years ago, there was a long, long sit down of the Phantom of the Opera in Chicago. Um, then Miss Saigon sat down there for a long time. Uh, we've seen those kind of Jersey boys sit down, uh, Wicked, um, and... 
we're about six hours by car from Chicago. And when we bring the shows in, they do huge business. So it doesn't seem to affect us. If, if anything, it, it helps to build the brand. Um, back to your original question, what will the road look like? I, um, I still think people really value the touring shows, the quality of them. Um, I, I, you know, every year we do these, um, these surveys and we try to find out what is the average theater goer look like. And I'm going to paraphrase broadly here, but 20 years ago, the average theater goer was 50 years old and female. And today that average theater goer is 50 years old and female. So I think people do age into uh, becoming season ticket holders for Broadway. Certainly having a big show like Hamilton is going to help just in the way the Book of Mormon and Wicked and The Lion King and Jersey Boys all and the Phantom of the Opera all got people excited and got them into the theater. And then a segment of them said, hey, I like this and I'm going to become a season ticket holder. And that's what we aspire to. So I, I'm, I'm bullish on the future of the, of the road. I think, uh, again, I think we are, um, we're playing in the sandbox well together. I think the people that are on the road, I, <clears throat> I mean, you were a company manager. That you, I mean, you used to have uh, not knockdown drag outs, but you'd have arguments about deal points and stuff. And now it's like we're we've kind of kind of figured out. I mean, by the time you get to Sunday night, everything has been <laughs> agreed upon. <laughs> Thank God, because I'll never forget the day I couldn't start the second act of a show because I had got paid. It was one of the most stressful experiences of my life. That that presenter is no longer doing well, it. Well, that's that's the natural attrition. But no, I think I, I, we haven't really. I mean, I think now we've just gotten to a point where uh, we work well together, and uh, so I, I'm very bullish on on the future. So my last question, which is uh, my genie question, I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin shows up in Des Moines, which I assume the genie from Aladdin will actually <laughs> show go. up in Let's Des Moines <laughs> <laughs> at some point in the near future, and uh, says to you, Jeff, I want to thank you for your 21 years of contributions to the Des Moines performing arts scene and all this great stuff you've done. I want to thank you by granting you one wish, one wish only. What's the one thing about the industry that drives you so crazy, that makes you so angry, so mad that you would ask this genie to wish away with a snap of his fingers or a wave of his wand? Now, Jeff, you're like one of the nicest guys on the planet. <laughs> if only all of you could see the smile that's been on his face. He's just the most charming guy around. So what makes you so mad that you'd be like, dang it, this is what I'd ask the genie to wish away? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you a, uh, not my answer, but I, I was thinking about saying more leg room because I'm six foot six inches tall. So more leg room in theaters would be great. Um, I really wish we could fix the, the whole counterfeit and secondary ticketing issues. To me, that, that's the part that kind of gives us a black eye when somebody, uh, there was an article in the paper recently in the New York Times about counterfeit tickets to Hamilton. And I feel like that's that's still something that is dogging us out there when 
I get the angry call from somebody who says that uh, tickets for Newsies in Des Moines were $400 and how can you do that? And of course they were looking at a secondary site. Um, so I wish that we could fix that. Um, maybe I should have wished for something else, but that's, um, that's kind of what I think is, is really uh, plaguing us is that secondary sellers. And I, I understand there are secondary sellers that are really good at what they do. Um, and I think that there is a place for that uh, in some cases, but I, I, the counterfeit tickets and things like that, which are easier and easier uh, when you have uh, printed home tickets where you can just put them in a copy machine or, you know, do something stupid like that. Um, that's why I think uh, doing more things like mobile ticketing and, and uh, what's, what's it called, the... Um, where you have to have a credit card when you show up at the theater, you know, there, there's different ways of, of getting around that, but that's the thing that I wish the most. No, I think that's a huge problem. I didn't realize you were also facing the problem outside of, or we were facing it outside of the city as well. You have a secondary ticketing problem in Des Moines. Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's all over the country. I mean, it, it just, it, it usually pops up with the larger shows, but it does happen. And, um, we become a little more aggressive in trying to make sure that if there are sites that pop up, that there is a way to be able to um, discern between this is not us. Um, we're doing a lot more education on that. And uh, again, the mobile ticket is the easiest. I mean, it's, I, I fly all the time and I use the mobile boarding pass. I haven't printed a boarding pass in a long time. <laughs> My brother still does. He flies more than I do, but he collects them because that's his badge of honor is having those boarding passes stack up. But, we can learn a lot from the airline industry. And I think, first of all, you're 100% right. I My mother called me once a couple of years ago complaining about how she just bought Annie tickets for the at the Wang Center in Boston. And she paid like $175 a ticket because she just didn't know the difference right. between the ticketing site and the secondary market site. And for those of you out there, if you um, want some interesting theatrical history on this, David Merrick in The Abominable Showman talks right. about battling the secondary ticket market. Right. Right. And the Broadway League, one of its founding principles was to deal with ticket brokers at the time, decades ago. Right. So I think it's a great thing to wish for because we're not getting anywhere. No, we're not. But I mean, again, there are, there are, there are good ways in which people can resell tickets. Um, some of the ticketing companies have come up with ways that they can do that. And you can set a seal, you know, the, the venue can set a ceiling on what those are. So, but it's really boils down to is just making sure that what you buy is really what you think you're buying. Well, thank you so much for being here. Safe travels back to Des Moines and all those politicians camped out <laughs> on your that's... front yard. <laughs> Try to get them to promise more for the arts while you're there. I will do my best, Ken. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And thank thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. Don't forget, if you want to see what got over 100,000 views and 800 likes, go to facebook.com backslash Ken Davenport and like me while you're there. Check it out. You're going to love it. It's super cool. See you next week. Hey, 
it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.